Hey everybody, welcome to An American F1 Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Klein, and today we're going to continue with our breakdown of the constructors in F1 and how they did this year. Before we get into that, got to start with some breaking news, some major news going on today. Or, you know, if you're listening to this, I don't know if it'll get uploaded till tomorrow, but the biggest news since making this podcast has been that Otmar Safnauer, the team principal for Aston Martin, is resigning. We know this year has been a tough year for Aston Martin. But you shouldn't let that define Safnauer's tenure with that team. I'm not sure how long you've been watching F1 or how long you've been following, or even if you know the history of Aston Martin racing. But the fact is, Aston Martin has a long history going back to when it was a team called uh, Sahara Force India. And Safnauer has been a major person with that team since the beginning. And if you look at the results from that team, that team has had what I would call exceptional results almost from its output. I think you could say that team has exceeded expectations. I mean, if you just think of the controversies that went on with that team between the whole VJ Malaya saga, between, remember there was that, the butting heads between Checo and Sergio. That team, I believe, and of course, the team almost closed down and it took Lawrence Stroll to save that team with Lance hopping on board as a driver moving with that. So if you look at the direction of that team and for it to have the performances that it's had, that says something about Otmar. And this year it was just unfortunate. They got hit really hard by new regulation changes going into the 2021 season. And I'm sure it was a frustrating season. We don't know what happened beyond the scenes. We don't know if Otmar was already planning on leaving. It, it's an unknown. So now the question is, where will Safnauer go? The big rumor has been going to Alpine, which would be interesting to see. I think he would be a great addition to that team. I think that's a team that's on the rise. I think that's a team we might be able to expect things from next year. But it's also a shame for Aston Martin. You got to feel, hopefully they're able to get a decent team principal. You got to feel bad if you're a Seb fan. I know a lot of people were hyped. One of my best friends, big Aston Martin fan, big Seb fan, was hyped going into the 2021 season. I think the expectations were really high, and they just undershot them big time. Probably one of the biggest disappointments, if not the biggest disappointment of this season, was the performance of Aston Martin. I mean, it was painful to watch Seb just struggle in there. And obviously, I'll talk about them more when we get into the breakdown of Aston Martin, but... A very frustrating season for Aston Martin. Major changes along the way. It will be interesting to see where they go. I'm also not going to talk about the other big piece of news. I know people would probably be excited because this is the problem with the F1 offseason. Any major news, any little news becomes major news. And of course, I'm not going to get into Lando Norris's personal life. I know so many people are probably disappointed. Listen... Great for Lando. I'm glad he's happy. But we don't need to make a big deal about that. Good for him. Happy for him. But we got to move on to talking about the Williams 2021 season this year. So, 
Williams, before I get started, this year was an unfortunate, tragic year for Williams. The Williams racing team suffered two major losses with people connected to that team in major ways. One of the first ones being Antonio Terzi. She was well known as a chief aerodynamicist for Williams. She helped design, for those of you maybe unfamiliar with Formula One, she helped design one of the most iconic cars from Williams, the FW26, which you might know it's known for its walrus nose style. One of the most famous, one of the most successful cars for that team. Well known for that. She unfortunately passed away tragically in a car accident this year. So that was a big loss, a big shocking loss for the F1 community and for people that had a major impact on F1. The other major loss, I think we all know, but would be remiss not to mention it, Frank Williams. Frank Williams meant a lot to the sport of F1. His impact on the sport of F1 is tremendous. I mean, you're thinking back to a sport. We're talking about a sport, first of all, that requires a significant amount of investment, time, money, tears. And Frank Williams persevered. He wasn't a works team. He was just a man with a dream to create one of the best F1 teams ever. And boy, did he succeed. And I think the key to his success was the fact that he had a passion for motorsport, a drive for motorsport, a love for motorsport. And it shows when you look at any video featuring Frank Williams, his infatuation with the sport is plainly obvious. His just dedication to it, his willingness to listen to cars on the track, his willingness to explain every part of an F1 car to you is amazing. I was captivated by watching old videos of Frank Williams. It it truly is something to see. And he helped create that team and make that team into probably one of the best, if not the best, constructors in Formula One history. We're talking nine constructors championships, seven drivers championships. You could look at the list of drivers that came out of Williams and it reads like a Hall of Fame list. We're talking Prost, Senna, Cothard, Mansell, Hill, PK, Rosberg, Reutemann, Jacques Villeneuve, Button, Weber, Montoya, Schumacher, Rosberg, Bottas. I mean, we're talking some of the greatest drivers ever in F1 history coming out of that team. So many championships, so many great drivers, wins, victories, podiums. And it truly is because of what he brought to this sport. I think F1 always needs a person like Frank Williams in it. Somebody who can be both immensely driven and immensely serious, but with an amazing smile 
an amazing, friendly, captivating attitude and with a true passion for the sport. So F1 is truly going to miss Frank Williams. So the biggest condolences to those two families, the Terzi family and the Williams family, because they just have had a tremendous impact on the sport we all love to watch. So on that note, I'm going to talk about the 2021 Williams season. I would be remiss to say, Williams is probably the reason why I got into Formula One. So it hurts me to see the team struggle. I remember the first time I can picture watching a Formula One car was when Jeff Gordon and Juan Pablo Montoya did the swap at Indianapolis. So you got a picture, right? New York kid, Sunday morning, usually consisting of you know going to church, things like that. Never really had the opportunity or the access or you know races being on as early as they are in the United States. Never quite had the access to Formula One that other people might have. So NASCAR was the big deal in my family. So when I got to see that Juan Pablo Montoya, Jeff Gordon switch, I was captivated. I was like, oh my God. There's other racing other than NASCAR, and it's sexy as hell. It's cool to watch. I mean, there's really nothing more spectacular than watching precision engineering going around the road course. I mean, NASCAR is cool in its own ways. NASCAR is like, like I explained, it's like the American football of racing. It's brutish. You know, there's door-to-door, wheel-to-wheel banging, while Formula One is more like soccer or football. It's precision. It's strategy. It's... Um, intelligent, sophisticated, and I love it. There's something, there's something beautiful about both, and there's something really beautiful about the top precision engineering of a Formula One car. The sounds, everything. I could go on, but yeah, I would say thanks to Williams Racing and that switch, I was captivated by Formula One. But anyway, can't continue talking about my love for Formula One. I wish I could. I could always do that another day. Got to talk about Williams and basically where they're at. So, basically, as I mentioned before, Williams was one of the greatest teams in Formula One up until recent years. Uh, probably their low point being from 2018 until 2020. I mean, just a car that lacked pace. Um, the organization just wasn't able to gather the funds. Numerous budget issues. Uh, numerous engineering issues, employment issues, things like that, that just hurt the team immensely. I mean, there was one year where they didn't even really show up for testing. They got the fewest laps in, and it was just abysmal. And, you know, that unfortunately created the steps that would lead to Claire Williams and the Williams family handing over control to Doralton Capital, who put in their own people, their own investment, but thankfully still keeping the Williams name. That new infusion of money is a great upgrade. Williams needed new money to function. You can't, unfortunately, in F1, we know the phrase, cash is king. You need money to operate in F1. And I'm hoping that this new influx of money for Williams will help them. And I'll be talking about more of that later. They also brought in Jos Capito as a team principal slash CEO, which I believe was a major upgrade after Claire's departure. Not to say Claire was bad. But I think Jos Capito uh, was a needed, refreshing 
change to Williams. And again, I think it's seen that this latter half of 2020, maybe we're starting to see Williams to be back on the rise. And I think we hope so. So this year, I would say 2021 was a much better year for Williams. Obviously, they finished ahead of Haas. They finished ahead of Alfa Romeo. Those are the teams they've been usually fighting with. It was really cool this year to see Williams, I think, being, at least in the first half of the year, more like a midfield team. I think you could say that the gap between Williams and the midfield was a little closer than you could say the bottom teams and Williams. So... Williams kind of fighting near the midfield at times, fighting for points, getting points at multiple races, multiple drivers, Latifi and Russell getting points. You could definitely say this year was a good year for Williams. Obviously, the major bright spot for Williams over this period has been the new Mercedes driver, George Russell. Russell has, I think, always exceeded everyone's expectations for that team whether it be in qualifying or in racing and fighting for points. And this year, you could say, was the year he showed it. If we're looking at his quality appearances, 15 Q2 quality appearances, 4 in Q3, including his second at Spa, which helped lead to this podium, you know. Uh, We can debate whether that's a real podium or not, but he got the trophy. He made it up there, even if it was half points and only one lap. P3 in Russia. He qualified P3 in Russia on pure pace. Of course, it wasn't the rain. There are factors to that. But the fact is, a P3, amazing. It was cool to see the Williams start out. Where the Williams kind of failed out was, of course, with the pace during the race. Uh, you know, not really always there. Especially towards the end of the season, it felt like the Williams started to fade away again. But that middle and the beginning part of the season, the Williams looked good. And it was easy to believe in that team that they were going to have this turnaround. And maybe it will happen next year. Maybe it's just got to take a little more patience. So George Russell, I think, looked good. He obviously made some major mistakes, too. Uh, We can think back to Imola, right? The mistake with Valtteri Bottas maybe just getting a little too aggressive. And I think George, too, was the beginning of the season out there to prove something. I think at the beginning of the season, George Russell was definitely trying to prove he deserved that Mercedes seat. And I think he was taking a little risky approach in some races. But the fact is, George definitely, I think, was exceeding expectations, at least in that first half of the year. And we saw him mature, too. And we saw maybe why he could fit with Williams. Because in Williams' strongest race, which you got to say was hungry, double points finish, George was talking about, I mean, you could argue about you know the accident that happened and whether they would have even been close, but that, that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is the fact that when you were watching that race, it showed what these drivers, Latifi and Russell, can do when they fight for positions. So we saw Russell saying, hey, prioritize Nicky. He's obviously higher up. It's a track where there's not great overtaking opportunities. Prioritize him. Let's get the maximum points, which I think is important for him going into Mercedes next year. And that brings me to Nick Latifi, too. Nick Latifi gets a lot of hate for, and I think unjustified. I'm not even going to talk about what happened in Abu Dhabi. But I'm saying Latifi has been criticized for his lack of pace, for being towards the back, not really outshining George in qualifying. But 
I think this year was a better year for Nick Latifi. I think he showed that he does have that racing gene in him. Listen, Latifi's not a bad driver. You can look at his F2 records. You can go back through his career. Latifi is not a bad driver. Yes, he gets critiqued for being a pay driver. But, I mean, realistically in Formula 1, who isn't? Who doesn't bring money to the table? I think that's one of the excessive arguments that are made with Formula 1 fans. The pay driver argument. Is it great? No. But you can go back through the list of people throughout Formula 1 history who have found their way into a ride because of the money they can bring to a team. That's motorsports. It's a business too. Sorry, I didn't mean to get on a rant. But I think Nick Latifi showed some bright spots. And I'm interested to see what he can do in his third year at Williams. But Nick Latifi did out-qualify George twice too. So it wasn't like he was having a weak season. And like I said before, with Williams, their strongest race was definitely that Hungary Hungary? Hungary race, right? The weakest race, or most disappointing race maybe, might have been Abu Dhabi. Uh, And again, I'm not going to talk about the end of that race. But just, you know, George kind of had a reliability issue. Nick Latifi, you know, crashed towards the end. So I think that was one of their weaker weeks. But I don't think I ever watched the race and said, wow, Williams is trash today. I think there were many bright spots for that team during the year. They weren't, you know, the like I think I described Alfa Romeo as just kind of being there. Williams was towards the back. They were battling the Haas a few times. But they also had a lot of bright spots. So I think for Williams, this year we're going to look at it as hopefully a turning point year for them. I truly think of the bottom tier teams, I feel like Williams can be the team to make the biggest jump with new regulations. And next year is going to provide to be very interesting for Williams. So going into 2022, what should we expect from Williams? I believe this is a team that in 2022 will be fighting for the midfield. And I wouldn't be shocked... Bold prediction, you can call me out on it. My bold prediction, my cold take that is probably going to be wrong. I wouldn't be surprised if you see them at least fighting close for a podium. Not saying they're going to get a podium, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see them in the mix. I think Williams will make a significant leap forward. I think we will see them starting to come back to the Williams we know. The major questions remain. Will the influx of money from Dalton Capital be enough to encourage the right development and the right people in the right places at Williams? How is Nick Latifi going to work next year? Because basically now, how is that Latifi-Albon situation going to work? Is Latifi going to be the leader of that team to Albon? Or is Albon going to outshine him and is he going to have to play second fiddle to Albon? That is something that is in the back of my head. I think that is a great driver pairing though. I think the Nick Latifi-Alex Albon pairing are great. And I'm interested to see how long that relationship with Mercedes holds. Because obviously with Alex Albon coming into Williams, a Red Bull driver, there's obviously the Red Bull influence. 
Red Bull is starting to create their own powertrain division, are we going to see a shift? Are we going to see some kind of like Haas situation and Ferrari and Alfa Romeo where we got this like three team connection thing going on? I don't know. Maybe I'm saying a little too much and thinking a little too much ahead. But it is interesting to see what Latifi can do, hopefully, with the new regulations, what Albon can do with the new regulations. And I really want Alex Albon, too, to have like a comeback year. I want to see him have like that Esteban Ocon moment, that Pierre Gasly moment. I want to see him prove to people why he belongs. I think the Red Bull atmosphere, what would it even mean if Alex Albon can perform at a Pierre Gasly level, have that redemption story? What would that mean? What would that say about the atmosphere in Red Bull? That's something interesting to ponder. Like, what does that mean for him? What does that mean for that team? Does that mean that they've been dedicating too many stuff to Max Verstappen, too much to Max? And again, I think I'm getting way, way, way ahead here. But my point is, Williams, I think, will be one of the most interesting teams to watch and pay attention to going into 2022. Really hoping that with new regulations, they can find a way. Because there have just been situations where you know, like if you look back with George Russell, I really thought in the middle of this year they were going to be a team that like was fighting higher than they were, that they were going to continue exceeding expectations, and then they kind of fell off. But who knows? New regulations, new influx of team members. I don't think Red Bull is going to give much support. I think we're going to be seeing more like you know, a Red Bull loaned Carlos Sainz to Renault. But you never know. So this is really the expectations for Williams next year. I think a lot of people have high expectations for them. I think there is a lot to expect from this team. And I think people are looking forward to it. I think this is going to be one of the more entertaining teams next year. One of the ones that are going to be more interesting to watch. One of the ones that people are going to kind of, you know, get behind. And, oh, it would be so cool. if they, Imagine just like next year you have, a Ferrari at the front. You have the Mercedes battling, Red Bull battling, Williams battling, throwing McLaren. It would be like such a nostalgic feel. It would be so cool. Again, I don't know where these teams are going to shake out. Next year is so unpredictable with the new regulations. But it's also so exciting to see what could happen. So I think that's the big thing. Williams, to sum up, better season than last year. Maybe the year that could be their turnaround. And maybe we can look forward to new things, new expectations, high expectations for this team in 2022. So my bold prediction next year, would they finish 8th in the Constructors' Championship this year? I think we're going to see Williams leapfrog a few teams. I think they're going to somehow find their way. Ooh, is it too bold to say this? I think I'm going to find them. Let's, let's, have them, let's go conservative. They're going to leapfrog at least one position, maybe finish like 7th in the Constructors, 6th in the Constructors. I expect one surprise start from them, like a 3rd place or 4th place. And one shocking finish from Williams. One shocking finish, like a podium, a 3rd place podium for Alex Albon. I'm going to call that. That's a bold strategy. 
bold call. This might be some of the most faithless predictions ever, but I'm sticking to them. Again, saying podium next year for Williams. A surprise quality. They're going to qualify fourth for at least one race. And they'll finish sixth or seventh in the constructors. So high expectations for Williams next year. I'm really feeling this team. I feel the momentum for them. And again, I'm trying not to be biased. I'm trying to look at it realistically. Not trying to say they're going to like you know all of a sudden be the fourth best constructors. But they're going to be up there. They're going to be fighting. New regulations. Oh, I'm so excited to see what this team does. So that's my evaluation of Williams. Maybe I'm wrong. Feel free to critique me. Adam and American F1. You can go to nAmericanF1.com to check out my blog. Been writing about some stuff. On Sundays, I'm continuing a series about Americans in F1. I'm not going to tell you who my next one is. Might be someone recent. Might be someone from a long time ago. But check it out. Again, that's nAmericanF1. A-N-AmericanF1.com. My Twitter is at nAmericanF1.com. So is my Instagram. Uh, my Twitter is just at nAmericanF1. And my Instagram is just at nAmericanF1. So feel free to check it out, making the post, getting the podcast going. Next Monday, I will release another podcast on our next constructors down the line, which of course we know will be probably the good timing too to talk about this team with everything that's going on recently. So of course we know that next year, that next year, next Monday, I will be talking, unfortunately, about the team that finished seventh in the constructors championship. But some big news that just happened. Maybe we'll get more news about this team in a few days. Probably not. Uh, That will be Aston Martin. So Monday I'm going to break down Aston Martin, break down their season, talk about what happened with that team this year, which, as I already hinted, was I think many of us could consider epically disappointing. So thank you for listening. Enjoy your day. Enjoy listening to this. And I will talk to you guys next week.